Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. It's time to talk money on News Talk 98.9. Here's your talk money host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. We have got a program lined up for you today and just want to welcome you to the program. Of course, we're going to be talking with several people. Let me kind of give you the lineup so you'll get prepared for it. we got Paul Malley. He's going to talk about a subject called the National Health Care Decision Day. It's today. April the 16th, we're going to find out a lot about it. He is the president and CEO of FiveWishes.org, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes and just get you some insight into really what Five Wishes is all about. Steve Anderson's here also going to give us an economic update, and Scott Jordan is going to guide us through the maze of all the noise that goes on that's contradictory that can just get you so roiled up and all the idea behind what's being said about the economy. Steve's going to lay it out for us, and Scott's going to help us get through the maze. So stay with us. It's going to be a great program. Let me introduce first and foremost Paul Malley. Paul, I just you've been a guest of ours before and so many times and do such a great job for us. Thank you, sir. We so much appreciate it. Let me say something about Five Wishes. It's Aging with Dignity is the organization and fivewishes.org. Right off the top, I want you to write that down. It is something you want to find out a lot about. You'll want to talk to these guys down at Aging with Dignity. Paul, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, you know, it is the April the 16th, and I, I just have to tell you, I'm excited about the fact that we're talking, you know, literally about this idea behind, you know, what's going on, the National Health Care Decision Day. Talk to me about that. Help me understand that. What does that mean? That's right. Well, let me be the first to wish you a happy National Healthcare Decisions Day today <laughs> as we're talking. Uh, this, so this idea, it, it came about about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, the idea is that we're combining the concept of making decisions before a serious illness so that your family and your doctors would know what you'd want. That's what we were talking about when we're talking about healthcare decisions. And ironically, National Healthcare Decisions Day, it's the day after taxes. So right after you finish your taxes on April 15th, uh, you can talk about end of life care and death and taxes all in one fun weekend that, you know, this year just happens to also be the weekend of Easter and Passover all combined together. So, uh, so a lot to think about and talk about. Well, you know, I think I like the idea when you say, you know, that it, it, it's after the day of t- tax day. Maybe that's the reason why we need to spend the time knowing what we need to do when it comes to putting some type of health care directive. But let's, let's kind of drill down. I really want to know, when you talk about Aging with Dignity, founded in 1996 as a private nonprofit organization, Paul, tell us what the mission statement, really, what, what is it all about? Aging with Dignity is a great name, but what is the mission? We're here because our founder and our CEO was inspired by his work with Mother Teresa. Jim Tui worked with Mother Teresa of Calcutta for 12 years as her legal counsel. And even more important, really, he served in her homes for the dying. So he cared for people. He was at their bedside as they were seriously ill. And 
he founded Aging with Dignity with the focus and the aim of helping people to maintain their dignity during times of serious illness when it can be most threatened. And we're here to help families, every one of you listeners, to take good care of the people you love when they need it the most, whether that's your parents or spouse or siblings. We want to be able to be helpful so that you can know what good care means to them. And that's where Five Wishes comes in. And that's the key. I like what you said, good care. Let me let me dive into this. The Five Wishes, what is, because I'm looking at a, uh, a booklet, you might say, and it says Five Wishes, My Wish For, and you list all five. And it goes from the person I want to make care decisions for me when I can't down to what I want my loved ones to know. And, and that is so, so important. Everybody knows they need to do this. And in the financial planning business where we're helping and counseling people, they know everybody knows, but it's sometimes very difficult to move them off of go. If you understand what I'm saying, they are going to, they, you know, I'm a, my wife says I'm a great procrastinator, I have a PhD in it. And uh, sometimes maybe that's true, but we just don't get started. So what is five wishes? That's the term. And, and in that sense, it's kind of like doing your taxes. You know you have to do it, but it's hard to start. And, yes. uh, and, and Five Wishes makes this advanced care planning process much easier than doing your taxes. <laughs> That's good. Our, our concept was yeah, better than that, right? So Five Wishes, as you mentioned, Jim, it's a simple, fairly short document. It's legally valid. We wrote it with the help of the American Bar Association. So it's a legally valid advanced directive, durable power of attorney for healthcare and living will. What's different about it is that this is a document that you can take home and fill it out together with the people you love, with your close family members and friends. You don't have to necessarily have an attorney. If you have an attorney, you can talk about it with him or her. We know that these are intensely personal conversations and decisions when you think about how you want to be cared for in the case of a serious illness. So Five Wishes lets you think about it in your own home turf and fill it out in a simple, easy to use document that doesn't take an advanced law or medical or financial degree to figure it out. You know, I, I like that because it is an easy document. I mean, really, we've worked with the people, sat down with this, and, and, and even sat down with family members where they're all making these choices. And it does kind of lead you through some tough decisions and some tough conversations. So I like that part. And, it, you know, it kind of gives you the guide to, to making some medical care decisions and some things that, you know, you, you don't want to talk, talk about, but you have to talk about. So let me ask this. When I talk about a health care agent, you talk about that in the five wishes. What is a health care agent? Yes, yeah, so that's our wish one in five wishes. It's the very first thing that we talk about. It's important that each adult, every one of us, 18 and over, it's important for us to name that trusted person in our life who we would trust to make decisions for us if we lose the ability to make our own decisions or to speak for ourselves. That could come into play even if we're in a car accident or an unexpected health crisis or even a planned surgery like having your appendix out or having your hip replaced. If you're still under anesthesia and you can't speak for yourself and the question comes up about what treatment is, uh, is right or necessary for you, then your doctors, your healthcare providers, and your family need to know who's, who's your voice, who's going to be your voice, and who do you trust to make decisions. That's what wish number one is in five wishes. It gives you a chance to name a first choice, a second choice, and a third choice. So that if doctors or your healthcare providers need to go to somebody for an answer, they know who to go to. 
And this is a right that every adult has. If you don't take advantage of that right and you don't name somebody yourself in five wishes, then state law tries to do the best that it can and it has a pecking order of next of kin or close family members who would be that decision maker. But sometimes that state law is not going to pick the best person for you. You know yourself and your situation, your relationships and the people you trust better than some state statute. That's why it's important to take advantage of the right that you have to fill out five wishes and make these decisions for yourself so somebody else doesn't have to make them or second guess them for you. That is so important. If you just tuned in, just joined us, it's Aging with Dignity as the organization. My guest is Paul Malley. He is the CEO and director. And um, Paul, I get a sense from listening to you, a passion about this. Tell me, tell me about the people. If you, if you could say this is the person who needs to know about five wishes, do you have that? Is that a, is there a person that you have in mind when I mention that? I, I, I think of everybody, and that's the honest answer because um, I've seen the benefit that five wishes brings to families and people of all generations. For the older generation, I think of my experience caring for my grandparents now caring for my parents, both of whom are living with some pretty serious illnesses. And, uh, and now even I have adult children. So I'm thinking about talking about these same issues and questions with them. Uh, so if you are an adult and if you love somebody, <laughs> this five wishes is for you. <laughs> if you want to be the person in your family who does right by the people who you love, then five wishes helps you to do that. And if you want, if you have some strong thoughts about what you would want in case of a serious illness, then five wishes is for you. Because if you don't use something like five wishes to specify what's important to you, then the people around you just won't know. They'll do the best that they can, but they just won't know. And that is so critical because doing the best they can sometimes leaves everybody disappointed at that particular time. If you'd like to order or call five wishes, let me give you the telephone number. It's 888 888- Five nine four seven four three seven. We'll give that out again. It's aging with dignity. Let me read this from Susan, who in the back of the five wishes says, "I must say I love your five wishes. It's clear, easy to understand, and doesn't dwell on the concrete issues of medical care, but on the issues of real importance, human care. I used it for myself and my husband." Wow. I mean, that's just a great testimony, Paul, of what really Five Wishes is all about. So they can go into fivewishes.org if they would like to get more information there. Paul, I I just so much appreciate it. It is the idea behind helping people understand it's April the 16th, National Healthcare Decision Day. And, you know, we, we just don't need to procrastinate. It was created basically to get people the initiative and encouraging people. Paul, I want to give you the last word. What would you say to, to me, to anybody, about the importance? And you've said it. I'm just going to give you a chance to repeat it. National Day of Care, Health Care Decision Day, and Five Wishes. Yep. If you've been waiting, this is the day. Today is the day on National Health Care Decisions Day after hearing this message to take the message back to the people you care about, to your family. As you said, go to fivewishes.org, decide if you want to fill it out by paper or in digital format, and then sit down with the people you love and talk about what's important to you and to them. Not just naming a healthcare agent like we talked about, but talking about medical preferences, 
comfort, what it means to you to be comfortable and to have your dignity maintained in times of serious illness, Five Wishes gives you the template so that even if that conversation sounds difficult or challenging, Five Wishes makes it all easier and gives you a smooth and easy path to follow. So you know, we, go to fivewishes.org, get it for yourself and your family. That's it. Now, we've been talking about it. The person I want to care, make decisions. Um, uh, the person I want to make care decisions for me, wish number one. The kind of medical treatment I want or don't want, wish number two. How comfortable I want to be, three. How, how I want people to treat me. And number five, what I want my loved ones to know. That's the five wishes, folks. Bottom line here is, let me read this from Cheryl. She says, it will be a year since my mother passed on. We knew what she wanted because she had the five wishes living will. When it came down to the end, my brother and I had no questions of what we needed to do. We had peace of mind. That's the deal. That's the bottom line. Aging with dignity, five wishes, 888-594-7437. FiveWishes.org. Paul Malley, it is always a pleasure, sir, to have you on the program. Thank you, and have a great day. Great to be with you. Thank you, sir. Paul Malley always does a great job, but this next guest we have on the program also does a wonderful job. He is going to dive in and give us some insight into kind of what the market's doing. And Steve Anderson, Certified Financial Planner, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. You know, Steve, we, we talk about the economy. We, you know, we, we just Paul was giving us this idea of what we do kind of at that stage of life and everybody needs it and everybody needs to be a part of that but when we talk about the economy some of us have a tendency to kind of want to shut it away you know not not get into it but i think it's important for our listeners to know that as financial planners as guys that are in this every day we can we kind of have some opinions and some ideas so my first question right off the date top is inflation how does it relate to the you know the economy everybody's talking about it yeah, well, uh, we, we see some scary numbers just depending on your, your point of view. Um, like yesterday, the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics released the latest CPI data, um, which said that the economy or, or in, in general, the cost of things out in the economy grew 8.5% year over year. And according to their records, that's the most in like four decades. So that's scary. Yeah, that's four decades. Now, I have been around four decades and, and you have not. So just to let you know, <laughs> you have. I'm just kidding. But the reality is, here's the point. I mean, you know, the last time we had this type of number was obviously with Volcker, with Mr. Reagan and hyperinflation. Yeah. How does that affect the consumer? What do we When we talk about inflation and that type of a problem, when you really get into it, how does that affect my pocketbook? Yeah, and, and this is something that um, th- there's a lot of research in, actually, at the moment, because this CPI number is the same for everybody. A guy making a million dollars a year, a guy making $10,000 a year. And the impact, apparently, is, uh, you know, s- studies are showing it, it really varies based on the group and the demographic that we're talking about. You know, if you've, if you've got below $40,000 a year of income, the uh, St. Louis Fed released a study that showed that it was something to the order of about 35% of your take-home pay was being used on gas. <laughs> and that was when it was $3 a gallon. You know, now we're over four. And so, you know, if you're making a million dollars a year, you're probably not driving a lot further, a lot less, but you've, got, you've, you've just got much more margin. And so the impact is really skewed 
depending on who we're who we're talking about. Yeah. Do you do you are you one of those gas guys that drives you know the extra ten miles to get the cheapest gas, or are you to go just get gas? I just my my mom would love if she listens to this. It's so funny because she'll remind me if you go over here, it's three cents a gallon cheaper. Now I'm the one. If it's between me and where I'm going, I'm good. It's good. I got you. You know the conversations around the gas tank used to be kind of uplifting. Today you can tell everybody's paying too much. Also joining us in the studio, Scott Jordan. He's talking about fundamentals of investing. Scott, what do you see when we talk about the idea of inflation and what's happening in the market? Well, I think I think Steve hit the nail on the head. You know, when you're having to spend more in certain categories, because everybody has limited resources, right? Even if those limited resources are large, like I'm making a million dollars a year, there's still a limit to those resources. And especially at, at the lower income levels, inflation just really hits hard because if I'm having to spend two, three hundred dollars extra on gas a month, that's less money I have to spend in other places. So I think the concern there is is valid in that 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 eventually slows things down. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So far, the demand has kind of kept up with that. And we haven't seen a huge decrease in demand yet, which is hence why the prices are so high. But there is a point where that starts to really slow things down. And that's the critical part about any consumer understanding that. So I guess I guess what I'm looking at, Steve, and the thought being that how does all of this relate to the fact that we've got issues with spending? We've got, you know, issues with getting back to work. We've got unemployment at a certain level today. What would we say to the investor as they're looking to think through that? We've just got a couple of minutes here. Just to what do you what would you say? How do you get past this this noise? Yeah. That's a great question. And, and, you know, the reality is, as financial planners, we're not economists. We're not trying to decide what's likely to happen and make predictions. I think one of our jobs is to try to read a lot of information, discern that information, and d- decide what is the most relevant information. So I've read a ton of stuff over the last couple of years coming through, uh, out, of, out of and through COVID. And one of the things that I would say is that what we have been through was not really a typical recession, you know, we didn't have a business cycle slowdown that we emerged from and victorious and all that. We had a shutdown, mm-hmm. and that's never happened before. A lot of times people hear unprecedented, and they think, well, the last time. No, it means never before. So it was never. it's never before happened. So when we talk about the economy now, the challenge is there's all of these strange things going on that don't normally go together. And so it's very difficult to really decide how are we doing. But in general— it would be hard to argue that the economy isn't reasonably strong in a lot of areas. It's easy to find places where, where things are out of whack. Inflation is a good example. But there are so many places where the economy really is pretty strong that, that I think you should, if you're an investor, you should generally feel pretty good. Cautiously optimistic maybe is the way I'd phrase it. Do we see, I mean, Scott, leaning with you, what do you see from the same pinpoint? What would you say to the investor on the street? Same question. Well, I think Steve makes a good point. There are parts of the economy that are doing really well. We continue to see earnings, especially of the large U.S. companies, coming in at record levels. You know, that's uh, part of that is just the inflation itself is is boosting earnings. But productivity is remaining high. Profit margins are remaining high. So all of that is a positive for the economy. And I think, like Steve said, if I'm an investor, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Well, I think that's important for us to get across to people because I think we hear so much negative. I think that's kind of the, you know, gets the eyeball out there and gets you looking at it. 
I know if I go to Home Depot or something, I can see prices are going up. So that I feel that you yeah. know feel that pain. I can remember years ago buying a pool table. I bought it in January because I was afraid I could afford it in December. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of that mindset. It's moving about that fast. <laughs> it right is now. moving yeah. about that fast. All right, guys. There's so much more I want to talk about. And if you're listening to us, well, this is Talk Money. We're going through this process of kind of guiding us through literally what's the economy doing in reality, but how do we manage around it? Well, Scott's going to give us a real big fundamentals on thinking about investing, and that's going to be critical. You don't want to miss that part. But I literally love when Steve can come in and talk about what's going to go because my next question with him is going to be really how does all of this relate to the Fed and would you give them a report card of an A or would they not pass right now? (laughs) So, Steve, that's going to be my question. Just come back with us. Stay with us. You don't want to miss this. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Paul Malley or Aging with Dignity. The views and opinions expressed are those of Paul Malley only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thank you for joining us today. We so much appreciate you listening. This is Talk Money. My guests, Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan. I just want to say this. We got to understand that higher inflation right now is real. We're no longer using the word transitory. Uh, that was something the Fed kind of created a couple of months ago. And now we have to understand that with the, you know, the higher rates and inflation, war, Ukraine, uh, the big, you know, bottom line is you're looking at the Fed raising rates at 50 basis points. That's got to create some problems. And the problems, and I, you know, as I said before the break, I wanted to just kind of give Steve a chance to give um, Mr. Powell a grade, a report card. You know, we, I kind of like doing that, you know. These guys <laughs> are in the heat of the day, but uh, we're kind of the armchair quarterback, you know, on Monday morning, and we kind of got an idea. So, all right, Steve, Scott, get ready because you're uh, going to be given the same thing. <laughs> How would you weigh in at this point? Now, I have to say, he, you know, I, I'm – well, I'm not going to set that up. I'll just wait. <laughs> I'll let you give the score. What would you score, Mr. Powell, at this point? Uh, well, I think I'm going to be a professional fence sitter on this one. Um, you know, oh, wow. You know, come, on. Well, come on. Take a shot here. But, I, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's a little bit like when people ask us, when should I file for Social Security? And I kind of jokingly remark, well, if you can tell me when you're going to die, I'll tell you the, the, the way the math works out. You <laughs> it makes know? the decision a That's lot right. easier. That's right. It does. It, it does. Easier, yeah. That's right. So we, in the grand scheme of things, it's real easy to say, yeah, the Fed probably could have acted sooner. Um, but it's gonna. It's so hard to know because like we talked about right before we, we went off air a minute ago, um, th- this is an unprecedented situation. <laughs> I mean, we just never the had word. this happen before. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's so new. And so... We'll know. We'll know at some point in the future. But the reality is we all kind of have this intuitive sense that the Fed's got to get from zero where they went during COVID 
on the Fed funds rate, and they got to get somewhere to two, two and a half percent, and probably need to get there fairly quickly. So expectations, it's it's crazy to think on January 1st, expectations in the market, according to the CME FedWatch tool, was zero to two rate hikes in 2022. And as of March the 17th or 18th, I forget which one, that same CME FedWatch tool said 10 rate hikes yeah. was built into the bond market. And that is a monumental move that occurred in like no time. And that's, a, you know, we just have to understand that's what some people, when you report that, you could literally make that into, oh my goodness, run for the cover. You know, everything's going to collapse. When we realize that the yield curve is, con- you know, re- converted I and mean, reverted and the bottom line is it's there. But that's not always the best indicator. I mean, especially when you look at it as rates are rising the way, the way you just described it, Steve. That's kind of unprecedented. And yet, at the same time, all recessions, as we talk about, are not always defined the same way. They don't exactly always right. look the same way. So I think it's important for us to, to keep that in mind. As we look at people with investing, you know, that's uh, we, we try to help them through this. And as we talk about it in the office, hold their hand. I, I will say this. There is a disconnect. I'm setting this guy up. <laughs> There's a disconnect between the Fed and reality. So now, you know, I mean, that's my opinion. So you know where it is. Uh, I got to say this. Steve you know, straddled the fence. Okay, Scott, or you don't tell me you're going to straddle. Well, I, I'm, shockingly, I kind of agree with Steve. Oh, because, give it uh, up. But now let me, let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> uh, you know, I do agree that they are operating from where there's not really a playbook for this, that's right? They, it was a very tough situation. And these are hard decisions they're making, so I don't like to beat up on them too much. Yeah, you can look now and say they're probably a little behind the curve. But when if they would have made those decisions back when they made them, there was a lot of uncertainty going on about what that would do during the the, the drastic measures that were taken to try to try to curtail the effects of the pandemic. So I give them a little pass on that. I do think they're a little behind the curve, but they are they have well communicated that they intend to uh, to stabilize prices, and I believe them on that. I don't think you fight them on that. I think I, they'll do what it takes. I think you're right. They're serious about fighting inflation, and so with, when and I think we get that sense. And as Steve, you said, yeah, they're going to probably have to raise the rates faster and and a little more, more robust and hawkish, as you might say. But um, what does that do? Here's the question: What yeah. does that do pertaining to a recession? Well, yeah. So to that end. 10 rate hikes, if you go out into the market, you can you can kind of use backwards math, looking at derivatives, and you can figure out that there's 10 rate hikes built in. The Fed's moved one time. So the market has already reacted for 10, all right? So that's where we're sitting now. So if you're an investor and you're thinking, oh, I got to move because inflation's coming and, and the Fed is about to raise rates and all this, well, that's already happened. I mean, that that ship has left the port. I mean, yeah. that's already occurred. So you can rest easy. We had some damage the first quarter, but we got through it. We're okay now. Will we have a recession? Here's the here's the disconnect with that with that question. Typically, recession coincides with market drawdown, and people don't. This sounds may sound silly. People, most people don't really worry that much so much about the recession part. It's the effect. It's mm-hmm. the Oh, my assets dropped in you know value and, and all that. And so it's not the recession, it's the drop in value. Okay, so are we going to go into a recession? A recession is just two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. Is that going to happen? Well, it's, it's very possible because GDP was artificially high because we were measuring off of nothing when we right. shut the economy down. So it shot through the roof 
it's gonna come down. I mean, we didn't go from a two percent GDP economy to a six percent GDP economy just because we went through COVID. That's right. We're probably headed back to two again, right? So it's going to come down. Could we have a, and I'm air quoting, you can't see me, a technical recession? Highly possible. I'd say even maybe probable. But is that going to have the same impact that it normally has? That's really the question. And I think there's a pretty good chance because of how well the Fed has telegraphed the moves that are coming and the way the economy has come through COVID. I think there's a reasonably good chance that we may have a technical recession, but not have the damage that we felt in the last couple. Well, I think that, yeah, the damage of the Great Recession was uh, devastating and the unemployment going over 10. And the, the reality is so. I guess I'm looking at it from a standpoint, are you sign, kind of say, yes, we'll have a probably, let's put it that way, probably, back to your air quoting, I'm doing the same thing, you know, yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I'm thinking everybody's going, what is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thought. If we take the idea behind, yes, there's, there's we're going to have a, a, say, a slowdown enough that we'd say for two consecutive right. quarters, we see it, we read about it, we all the noise about it. How do you talk to your client in the office about what they should do if that happens? Great question. Okay, so with all of our clients, one of the things we will typically coach them to do is to keep three to five years worth of whatever they've got to take out of their accounts. So if we're talking about a retirement a retiree, they've got three to five years of whatever withdrawals they've got to take from their accounts. We want to keep that in you know, cash, bonds, something that's not in stocks, which is typically where recession affects their asset prices, all right? So if that's the case, if they've got, through coaching, if they've got three to five years out of harm's way, out of the stock market, then a technical recession is just a little blip. It's something you move into, you move through, and you move on, and it's just not a big deal because it, it, in all likelihood, a technical recession is not going to be something that has damage at last years. It would be months. So as long as you allocate correctly, you don't have to figure out how to get out of the market at the right time and then get back in the market at the right time, which sounds so intuitively simple, but is just incredibly complex. Yeah, I remember back in the 80s, we thought that that was something, you know, we called it timing the market. Yeah. And the reality is, so we thought, well, let's go out and hire. We had two different people, one on the East Coast, basically one on the West Coast, and figured we'd get the, you know, there's two mindsets there, okay? So we we hired these guys, paid them, and said, okay, you run the all the, you know, computer algorithms and everything, and was telling. And they, for about two years, seemed to be working in sync. And then all of a sudden, 1987 hit, and the market dropped mm. dramatically, and nobody indicated, and nobody knew when to get back in. And so with really that whipsaw that occurred was devastating. Yeah. So within a short period of time, the timers went away. Now we see that creeping back in now and people talk about, well, I should be here, I should be there. I like what you said. Set that side, that early money, that needed money, that quick money, stuff that's going to cover that emergency that you need. But let your investments do what they're going to do. And I that's think right. that's very good advice. Scott, your take, recession, is it going to be – Big? I mean, he's kind of got an opinion here and saying maybe not. But what are your thoughts when you talk to a client on the same subject? 
Well, I think the probability of recession has definitely increased. Uh, anytime the Fed is in a tightening cycle, there's there's definitely a higher probability of a recession. I think it's a little greater for Europe than it is the U.S., but um, I think the bottom line is, like Steve said, is as a long-term investor, we come to expect these types of things to happen in the market. We don't know the reason. We don't know the timing of them, but we know we're going to experience volatility and ups and downs. So, I think for the investor that has a, a plan that's, uh, you know, an investment strategy that's well anchored to a plan, a discipline process, this is just part of what you go through. It's it's natural when you feel that pain of that market going down to want to do something. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's I think it was Kahneman who, who wrote in Thinking Fast and Slow that we feel the pain of loss twice as much as we feel the joy of gain. So it's natural to feel like you want to do something and try to avoid that pain. But I think Steve said it best. Let your allocation do the work. We've thought about this. We've developed an allocation that's anchored to a plan that has a high probability of getting us where we want to go. And let's stick with that program and not try to get in and out. Like you said, the best minds with all their computer technology, could not figure out how to get in and out of the market of the right time. Because it just, it introduces two more ways to be wrong, right? You got to know when to get out, when to get back in. <laughs> That's a Hard to do. Point. Very difficult. Very difficult to do. If you just tuned in, of course, my guest, Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan, both of these guys are certified financial planners. If you'd like to talk to them, you can call them at 901-757-5757. Steve, let's talk about, and just, I, I think it's important. I mean, we we kind of laid out the idea of the economy, kind of talked about inflation, but you just uh, purchased a home recently. Right. And so that's a f- going to affect the market. Now, when I'm not talking about the stock market, I'm talking about the home purchasing market. And we just read something recently from a survey that was done by the consulting firm that 33% of the homes today in America are bought by investors, not actually the home buyer that's going to go live in the home. Is that going to continue? Because your rate has uh, gone up a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, my opinion about us being not having gone through a recession, but going through a shutdown, that really ties into this question to me. That's- so as the Fed starts raising rates, in the grand, that, that's not going to change the fact that there are seven cars on the Toyota car lot when you drive by, right? It's not going to fix that. I mean, it's not going to fix supply chain. It's not going to fix all that. Where it will have a pretty direct and profound and already has had an effect is in the housing market. Right. Because mortgage rates revolve kind of around that 10-year treasury, which has already affected. I mean, I got my mortgage rate under 4% three weeks ago, and it's over 5 now from what I hear. And so that's fast. That's quick. And so what's likely to happen is all these investors had cheap, free money. And and so they had they were looking for places to park it, and we were dropping money out of helicopters for three for two years, you know, post COVID. And so people were just buying up things. And so there's a lot of money floating around, and then a lot of money that would be able to be borrowed almost free. And so a lot of these homes were purchased by investors. And now I think what we're likely to see is we're going to see some cooling off. I think regular homeowners will be buying more, and I think probably some of these homes when somebody's buying a six hundred thousand dollar home because it's a two and a half percent mortgage. When they probably should be in buying a you know four hundred fifty thousand dollar home, that's probably the effect of what we're going to see here. I I'm I'm hung up on part of your conversation though. I have to admit that I I didn't see the helicopter. Did it? Did it you flew s- over my house? It did. Did, fly you, not, did you not did get I, your drop? I did get my drop, guys. Come on, <laughs> man. That makes me kind of oh, I feel bad. You know, Scott, what's your take? 
I, I think I think Steve hit it on the head. I, I think you know we'll see some cooling off in the housing market. Although I would add that there's been a significant underbuild, really starting back with the Great Recession yeah. in '08. So there is a lot of demand now. Does that force more people into a rental situation versus an owner? That may explain some of that 33 percent of investors buying up the homes that figured that's where a lot of people were gonna gonna head to. But yeah, I think it does cool the housing market off a bit. But um, that may not be such a bad thing. It's been really hot. We've seen prices escalate really at unnatural levels there for a while. So I think cooling off would be a little healthy. We don't want to see it go too far. But yeah, and just to that end, when we're saying cooling off, I don't think either of us are inferring that this is a 2008 housing bubble. Right. right? Absolutely it's, not. it's just, you know, when nine people, I heard someone say yesterday, if you sleep on it, You'll never sleep in it. <laughs> That's that, a good way to put that. Yeah, that, that, may, that made a lot of sense. Yeah, that just, it, it may be a house stays on the market for three weeks instead of three days. Yeah, you know. three days or three hours. Or yeah, three, three hours. That's yeah. right. All right. I want to talk about something that I think so many people need to talk to. Thank you. Both of you guys have done a great job about the economy. But I want to turn the page because really there's some fundamentals that everybody need to understand and follow when it comes to the investment world. And it, we talk about it all the time, but I think our listeners, we haven't done this in a while, and I think it's important for them to kind of be able to pick up on this. So, Scott, I'm going to lead in with you. It, we talk about this, but what would you say is the first principle when it comes to a fundamental of investing? Well, I want to back up just a minute and say, you know, what what I see in my experience, why people tend to be unsuccessful at, at investment really factors around three guiding principles. And that is, one, they have unrealistic expectation about what it means to be a long-term investor. You know, whether it's I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to make a way higher rate than I actually do, or I don't think I'm ever going to experience up and downs in the market because I'm so brilliant. I'm going to get in and out and not have to do that. So I think unrealistic expectations, they operate without a disciplined strategy. They don't have any guiding principles to make those investment decisions and their investments are not anchored to a financial plan that, in other words, what are we trying to accomplish with this money? So I think having those principles answered, you know, what are my expectations? What kind of guiding principles am I going to use to make those investment decisions? And oh, by the way, what am I trying to accomplish? And that helps you establish an investment strategy that gives you a high probability of a successful outcome with what you're trying to accomplish. So I'll start with that before we go into some of these kind of emotional pitfalls or behavioral mistakes that we see people make. And, and I think they're made largely because they're not operating under those. Well, places. I know, I think that's a critical point and I'm glad you said that. It was a great under great parable, I guess you might say, or laying it out for us to understand it and teaching us what's that first fundamental though. I, I know you said this, I've, you call it following the herd. Following the herd. Yeah. I, you know, Stanford did, did some research on this and what they discovered was that what investors fear most is not keeping up with their peers. And they tend to, to uh, when they think about how their peers are doing in the market, they tend to look at a benchmark or maybe a particular stock and go, I'm missing out on that. Look how good they're doing. You know, I may be in a multi-asset portfolio and the S&P 500 is going crazy and, I, and I'm missing out on that. And that tends to create in people this, this desire to kind of follow the herd. You know, let me jump in what everybody else is doing because I don't want to miss out on these returns. And we see this you know, it's led to asset bubbles in the past. We saw it with tech stocks in the 90s. We saw it with real estate uh, leading up to the 08 pullback and, and possibly maybe even cryptocurrencies and things now. We don't know, yep. the, don't know the final answer to that. But that tends to lead to that behavior that people, and we've all seen it, they tend to buy into the stock market when it's doing really, really well and the prices are really, really high. 
and then they want to sell out, you know, at the time when the stock market is doing doing the worst. And you should probably really do the opposite of that, right? Yeah, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> when it's on sale, you don't want to run from it and get out of it. Yeah. But it, it's, you know, going back to that feeling that pain of loss, it's a reality. It's hard to tell somebody, you know, you know, don't don't follow the herd, don't get emotional. Uh, but I think, you know, going back, let's let's have those guiding principles that are guiding our plan. Let's have a plan that we're trying to accomplish. And I think that'll help manage that behavior somewhat. That's a great point. I think so many times we say to people, would you go to the grocery store? And if the sign as you walked in the door, it said 20 percent off everything in the store. Would you get two baskets because it's a good or 30 percent off? Well, of course you would, because it's all on sale. But when the market is on sale, we run from it instead of run to it. And that's really the problem with what that. I guess you'd say inexperienced investor. You have yeah. to have the, you know, you think, well, I'm feeling the pain. My market's down. My portfolio is down. Reality is buy more when it's on sale because we know it's coming back. And that's critical for people. So following the herd, you know, I know people that you go to the Barty and if their markets, if their portfolio is up, they tell everybody. Oh, yeah. If it's yeah. down, they don't tell. Yeah, nobody's talking. <laughs> yeah, nobody's so, talking at that point. Exactly. Yeah, so what's number two? I think it's it's kind of kind of related to the last one, but just being an emotional investor, letting emotions, you know, you know, run the investment. I think this comes in in that fear of loss scenarios where we see this the most is, you know, you start seeing the headlines come out and, and they're never going to be friendly to what's going on in the market. Again, we talked about this before. They like you coming back and looking. So they're going to make every little pullback, downturn, every negative thing about the market. And they're just going to amplify that, you know, a hundredfold. And so I think that creates that fear in people and fear, as we know, leads to panic and panic selling. And that's, you know, usually the wrong time, like we said, to be getting out of the market. That's really a good time to to, to buy, but it's really hard to do. It's, you know, it's easy for us to sit here. We, we've got a lot of experience in the market and say, don't get emotional. Well, you can't really tell somebody not to get emotional. <laughs> They're going to get emotional. <laughs> That's like um, telling them to get emotional. And, and the bigger the account, sometimes the larger the pain. So, you know, when you're, when you're talking to like retirees that really have their whole nest egg tied up in the market uh, to produce that income they need, it, it, it's tough when we have pullbacks like that to hang on and stay focused on a long-term strategy. So I don't minimize that. It is hard, but emotions are the enemy of any good investment strategy. So. so don't follow the herd. Don't get caught up where everybody seems to think they should go. Number two, I, I understand that. Guard your emotions or manage your emotions. And I think we do that. I think we hold a lot of hands. Let me ask you this, Steve. I, I think because we're talking about emotions and sometimes, you know, I get a phone call and it's um, they're not really asking me anything big. They just want me to talk to them. You know, I yeah. mean, it's that... Uh, it's listening. It's uh, letting them know we care and spending the time walking through that emotional. So my question, I guess, is so many people ask us this. What are the questions that I should ask if I'm looking to, you know, to, to work with an advisor? Because so many times they don't know what they ask. We use a terminology. We have a vocabulary sometimes, if we're not careful, that we can talk over somebody's head instead right. of sharing with them really the fundamentals. What would you say are some of the questions they should ask? Yeah, that's so, so great question. And, and the first one I would ask really ties back to what Scott was saying you should be thinking about in the midst of the chaos. And that question would be this, what is your process? So I, I get introduced to you, Mr. Advisor. Um, what's the process from here to where we're going? Like, how, how, how does that look? Because an advisor that has a process, well, let me back it up and say, advisors are people. And without a process, they'll do what people do. <laughs> totally we agree. will be emotional too. Yes. And I will tell you this, I manage money for a lot of clients. And when COVID hit, I had nights where I was laying there thinking, 
I hope I'm right. Right? And it's heavy. It's a heavy burden. Um, and it's a big responsibility. And without a process, as emotional as you may be with your money, there's a, you know, the volume is much larger for the advisor <laughs> and the, the consequences of not having a process are also much more dramatic. So the, a great first question, I think, would be, Tell me about your process for working with clients. That's a great point. Great point. Steve, what, I mean, Scott, uh, no, what would you I, say? I totally agree with that. I think if you can understand and trust the decision-making process, that will better prepare you for the storms of life. Because, again, we know they're coming. So you have to uh, – was it Paul who said plan for the health care crisis before the health care crisis gets there? That's well, plan for the storm of, storms of life before the storms are happening and and plan for how you're going to react. I think I think I like what Steve said that you know we as advisors we're not immune to feeling our emotions, but I think where we come in is is we're we're quick to get that perspective, focus on the things that we need to focus on, get out of the headlines, and stay true to that discipline strategy to help our our clients meet their long term goals. Guys, you've done a fabulous job of helping everybody. I think understand this, and, and and I like the way you've covered the subject. It's been great. It's been one of those things that I think you can go back and listen to over. And that's of course what we want to do is help people have something that they can gain some insight into what basically doing and, and talking about money as we do. And I want to thank both of you for that. That's Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan. If you'd like to talk to them, 757-5757. Also, Paul Malley, if you'd like to give him a call, you could do that. You can actually call him at the office. Our number, 901-757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. And we want to say, leave us a review. We would appreciate it. Next week, Rusty Leonard, Stewardship Partners. He's also going to give us his take of what the economy looks like. And we're going to talk with Drew Johnson, which is really, I mean, he's the guy that kind of runs our investment committee. He's going to talk about the misconception of bonds. Dane Williams will be with us. Storms and your insurance company. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 12 noon right here on News Talk Radio 98.9. If you have questions, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. It's any question you want us to answer, send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get it on the air. Thank you so much for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of News Talk 98.9 or Cumulus Media, affiliates and or advertisers. Talk Money is heard every Saturday morning at 7. For more information, go to Newstalk98.9.com.